grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Wherever Jesus goes, there trouble follows him. He was born in Bethlehem, and, King's army, and King Herod's army came after him. He's baptized in the Jordan River, and then he goes out into the wilderness where Satan comes to tempt him. He goes onto a boat, he takes a nap, and a storm arises. Last week, we heard the first part of this chapter, Matthew chapter 8, in which Jesus heals a leper and also the centurion servant. The leper evidently told so many people about Jesus against our Lord's instruction that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, so he had to go into the wilderness, and there the people would find him. Jesus also said in this chapter, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Admitting a type of homelessness that he endured. After Jesus calmed the storm, the same chapter concludes with Jesus driving out some demons. And when the whole city heard about it, you think they would be filled with joy. But instead, they went out and found Jesus and they begged him to go somewhere else. And so he gets back in a boat and goes back across the Sea of Galilee. Such it is with the word of God. The world will rage and chafe against him and they will find no room for our Lord. It should be no surprise then when churches are met with opposition or when they struggle. The devil, the world, and even our own sinful nature are all at work to minimize Christianity's impact in our lives and also in our communities. It boils down to this. When God's people do not desire God's teaching or his gifts, there will be trouble and vice. When you consider Christianity in our country this day, you will see the rates of those who consider themselves to be Christian plummeting. The rates are going down quickly, for it is no longer fashionable to be a Christian. I saw a little study that had pinpointed the years in which these things had changed, admitting that our world, our country, our society was favorable to Christianity until just the last few decades, and then it just kind of tolerated Christianity for the next decade and a half. And now, more recently, our society does not simply tolerate Christianity, but is working against Christianity, Christian values, and the Christian faith. And in fact, those who consider, those who are truly faithful to Christ, those who truly follow him and want to abide by the pure teachings that are found in the scripture are now considered to be among the fringes of Christianity. Those who truly desire to be a disciple of Jesus are viewed by Americans as fringe Christians. 
It's painful to watch, but it's not inevitable. There are lots of people around here who should be in our churches. Our membership roles even demonstrate that fact. On an average Sunday, 80% of our church membership is not here. This demonstrates a genuine problem, and the fault does not lie with God, probably not the churches either, because it stems to ultimately, do people want to hear the word of Christ, commune with God or not? And they have to answer to God for the refusal of making use of the means of grace. Classing the blame is not answering to God. Years ago, I was talking to someone who is concerned about her relative who is no longer a member of any church. She seemed to think that even though he refused, he just simply flatly refused to be a member of, a Christ, of any Christian church, she felt that he somehow remained a Christian and she perhaps somewhat despairingly said to me, I hope that God will understand. Is God understanding? Of course, yes, he is understanding. Jesus, the Son of God, lived in this world and he knows what it's like to face Satan's rage day after day. He knows what it's like to have the world against him. He knows what it's like as we bear our sinful flesh. God understands because he saw us dead in our sins and trespasses and he sent for us a Savior, Jesus, who became our substitute. He sent Jesus to die in our place, who earned for us the forgiveness of all of our sin. And God didn't even stop there. He wants to ensure that this forgiveness earned by Jesus on the cross some 2,000 years ago is given to you today. And so he has preserved for you the word in your midst. He has established churches for you to hear the proclamation of the word and receive the, the, the sacraments. He has baptized you into himself. He gives you his body and his blood for you to eat and to drink. He absolves you of all of your sin, and through these means, he reconciles you to himself. God is certainly understanding. He has given you everything so that you can be saved. How much more do we expect him to understand? Should God be understanding when he has made it for us to easy to be saved? After all, he's done it all for us. And yet, people have no time for these things. Should he understand when people won't hear him or won't receive his gifts? He has awakened us from spiritual death to life, and many would rather go back to sleep. I bring some of this up because I have two points that I want to say in today's gospel. First, that there is a lot of unfounded and ungodly fear. And second, godly fear is part of the Christian life. First, the unfounded and ungodly fear. We can see an example of this in today's gospel. Before the storm arose, you could have asked the disciples who were on this boat if they believed, and they would have responded, with an absolute and resounding, yes, yes, I believe. But they were not conscious of how their hearts trusted in calm seas and fair weather. 
Their faith was founded on what their natural eyes saw. And so when a storm arose and Jesus was busy sleeping, that confidence that they had suddenly vanished. When the calm weather disappeared, evidently so did most of their faith. How often do we see this today? Sometimes people assert faith in Christ and then they are hit with the storms of rough times. They enjoy peaceful times and they have these peaceful feelings, but then suddenly everything that they had to support that peacefulness is gone. They might be afflicted with various ailments. They may have suffered the death of a very close loved one. And rather than turning to Jesus in trust, turning to him knowing that he will answer their petition as Jesus did for these disciples who went up to him and asked him to calm the storm, many would instead lash out at God or blame him for everything that has gone wrong or even worse, turn against the very Lord who grants him life and can remedy the situation. All too often their faith is not founded in him but founded in good times and feelings of good times. Because the disciples were now filled with fear, they woke up Jesus, naturally. They prayed to him. They said, Lord, we are perishing. But Jesus showed them how unfounded their fear was because he says, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? There he exposed their weakness of faith, and he got to the root of the matter. There is no need to fear. Drawn from Psalm 107, our intro at this morning, declared, He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. After all, when a God is for us, who can be against us? Those who are pained by watching America's churches decline sometimes suffer with ungodly fear. Instead of trusting in the power and the mercy of God and the working of God, the Holy Spirit, they become fearful that Christianity is just simply going to leave our country. They become fearful of their church, their community, and the unknowns that will lie ahead. There are many other things that bring about fear. As long as I have been alive, I have been hearing people assert that we are now living in the here and now, in the roughest times, in the most uncertain future, and things are worse now than they were just moments ago. We've been saying that for years. When times are bad, people complain. But when times are good, we then find other things to find reason for complaint. Many are, feared with feel, are filled with fear over the rise of other countries, over what other nations might be doing. They might be filled with fear over false religions and the rise of those religions. They might be filled with fear with the rise of immorality in our country or the national debt, or the unstable markets, or COVID-19, or a whole host of other things. But do you remember also what we prayed in our intro it? From Psalm 107, we prayed, They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Jesus himself teaches us not to worry. Jesus, before Matthew 8 began, had sat down on this mount where he preached his sermon on the mount, and there he said, do not be anxious, do not worry about tomorrow, for sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's part of the reason why he said, why were you filled with fear? Why were you afraid, O you of little faith? Because he had just preached. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will take care of your bodily needs. So that is what we seek first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So instead of spending our time in fear or worry, we ought to be spending our time in prayer, making our requests known to God and doing so with thanksgiving. And not only that, but we should also be using our time to make our prayers and our requests come true. So if we want people to be attending church, we need to be encouraging of them to come. If we want the church's budget met, we need to begin with ourselves by being generous givers. If we want something that's godly, we need to do our level best to bring those things to fruition. And here's something that many Christians do not realize, that the Christian life also involves growth, growth in the word of God, growth in knowledge, and even growth in good works. It's difficult to remain a Christian when there's no growth in our Christian life upon our confirmation. And this moves me then to my second point. There is godly fear. In our epistle, we heard a summary of the Ten Commandments. And the explanation of the first commandment is, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And the rest of the commandments, the remaining nine commandments, all bring us back to the first commandment. For each of them begin with, we should fear and love God so that... You see, love is the fulfillment of the law. And then there is also such thing as a godly fear. For when we fear God, we do not want to do things that are against him. After all, we learned in the conclusion of the Ten Commandments, God threatens to punish all those who break these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. This means that we are taught that there is a godly fear. This fear involves respect, but it goes deeper. Think of it this way. Who should you fear? God, or should you be fearful of others? If you fear others, you, and not God, you will be happy going on with your own life, committing whatever sins, pet sins that you want, as long as you're not caught. You'll be just fine, you think. But if you fear God, you will know that he sees everything that you are doing and your desire will be to not sin. And when you sin, you will not have a good conscience about it. When you fear others, you will treasure the opinions of man and you will even look to other people as a source of truth so that you don't have to follow what the scriptures teach you. But when you fear God, you will trust the words and promises of God and you will treasure what God teaches above all the opinions of man. When you, fear others, when, when you fear others, you will be ashamed to speak the word of truth to them as you have been taught. But when you fear God, you will speak boldly God's truth to those around you. When you fear others, you will... You, you will not say what is right or wrong. 
but when you fear God, you will say what needs to be said. If we desire to be found godly in Christ, if we desire to be Christian, our desire is to grow in Christian knowledge and trust and gladly do that which he teaches. And as a result, we can commend to him the things that concern us that are beyond our control. We can turn to him in prayer. We can make our supplications and requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. That storm that the disciples were facing was beyond their control. And Jesus was there who offered a quick remedy through this most amazing miracle by calming the storm, rebuking it, and it is gone. Jesus revealed his divinity. He reveals through this miracle that he is God. The people are amazed as they witness this, wondering, who is he that he can even calm the storms? His fixes, though, when we bring our petitions to the Lord, are not always quick fixes for us in the wrongs that we have in our lives or the ailments that we endure or even the temptations that we face. Yet he still cares for us deeply and he will always take care of us. He has already come as our savior and he has already taught us his words of promise. He has already reconciled us to our father in heaven through the all-sufficient sacrifice that he made on our behalf on the cross. And if he can rebuke the winds and the sea and cause them to calm down, he can certainly keep you in his care. He can bring about peace with God, even as you face the stormy weather of this world. He can grant you eternal life and salvation, even as you face cross and trial in this life. He can be your refuge and strength throughout this troubled life. And we need not live our lives in fear or worry, but instead we fear and love God, for he first loved us and he takes our sin away. He grants us a sanctuary and he promises to bring us with him to everlasting salvation. And so we always draw near to him as we face our crosses, as we endure our challenges, and even as we suffer. And in all of it, we remain joyful, knowing that he has given us his son and grants us everlasting life and salvation. Thanks be to God. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Mm -hmm.